Welcome to Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast, a series of interviews and monologues featuring the leaders of the at-home child care industry created to elevate agencies, caregivers, and the families they serve. Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast is here to provide you with the child care industry best practices to be clear, concise, and immediately applicable. Here's the host, Danny J. Nanny, author, speaker, and creator of the Next Step System for Agencies. Hi, and welcome to Nanny ABC's Next Step. I am your host, Danny J. As always, more about this episode can be found at nannyabc's.com slash blog. And this podcast is powered by Nanny ABC's Helping Care Succeed. Adventurous eating creator and care nectar expert Angelina Pizzi began her venture into the realm of feeding children and building healthy relationships around mealtime through her experience as a career nanny. Instead of working her way into families through a career in nutrition, she worked intimately with families and then learned everything she could about what the children in her care needed from food and feeding. Let me share a bit of her website. Quote, 15 years ago, before I heard the call to serve moms in the way I do today, I thought my calling was to be a mother myself. When I found out that my body just doesn't work that way and that I couldn't have children of my own, I was devastated. I decided to leave my career in high-stakes finance, literally working on the biggest and most physical commodities trading floor in the world to go back to school to become a teacher. End quote. So, she continues her to tell her story, but here is what that means to me. She is smart, she's dedicated, and she's passionate. Please enjoy part one of my conversation with Angelina Pizzi. Of course, stay until the end to hear your action steps on how to make this episode actionable. Angelina Pizzi, thank you so much for joining me on the Nanny ABC's podcast. We so appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan and I'm so happy to be here. Oh, you're too kind. So I feel like we should start at the beginning. What is it that you do exactly? So I am a parent coach who focuses on feeding and teaching new parents and caregivers how to feed their infants in ways that lead to not just lifelong healthy habits in eating, but also healthy relationships over mealtimes. So that's fantastic. Uh, So what is a healthy relationship with mealtimes and like food in general? What would, what's that? So I hear, and if you have children, if you've seen children, if you just know about children, if you're a caregiver, you have heard about picky eating with toddlers specifically. And it is probably the number one question that I get about um, toddlers in general is how do I help? And toddlers and older children, how do I help uh, my now picky eater eat in a better way, eat a a more well-rounded, balanced array of foods. So I help from the very earliest bites, right? From from an infant's first bites of solid foods and beyond, this is often where, I mean, this is where we build a child's flavor palette, right? So if we are exposing an infant, especially in the first year, so from six months or earlier, depending on how you start feeding, to a year, the flavors that we expose our children to, the textures, the different types of foods, 
they are the ones that if we can get them to accept and love these flavors and textures early, even if your toddler goes through a narrowing of what they will accept in food and they all do it, yeah. they will outgrow that and become older toddlers and children who love to eat a wide variety of foods. But we need to know how to do this in infancy. And so much of helping an infant become a toddler who loves to eat all of the different foods, the bitter green ones included, means helping to empower them over meals. So this empowerment piece is really important for helping develop healthy eaters because pressure at the table, and this begins all the way back in milk feedings, but pressure at the table is the number one way to create a picky, or as I like to say, food skeptical eater. So the pressure at the table, that's kind of like the, you should eat this, or you can't leave the table until you're done eating this, or all of those types of things. Absolutely. Even saying to a 13 or 14 month old who loved broccoli yesterday and today is like, why are you trying to poison me? You know, even just saying, but you liked this yesterday. Look at how much I like it. You know, have a bite. Like this is so much more um, innocuous or innocent than just saying, you know, you have to be part of the clean plate club right? Like that is obvious pressure, but there are so many other things that we say that can be considered pressure to a very young child. And the minute we try to pressure, especially someone who is really um, asserting or developing their independence, the worse off we are and harder it gets to feed these kids, right? Yes. That kind of sounds like uh, working with teenagers too. I feel like uh, yes. parents, it's all of that. Uh, once you put your line in the sand, the other side gets even stronger with it. So is there, uh, can you backpedal from like uh, when a child is starting to be picky, do you just stay, stare at your own plates? Do you not look at what they're eating or is there like things that you say that are like not pressure? Is there a way to do that? Absolutely. It's one of the, one of the best ways for a very early toddler. So this happens, I mean, this, this, we start to see this as early as 10 months. If a child's been eating for six months already, five, you know, five months already, we can see that as young as 10, 11 months where they start to really become more selective about the things that they eat. But, um, the, the number one tool that I use with a, or I recommend with, a, with an infant who, or a toddler who's 12 months to 14, 15 months is when they start to, you know, turn away from a food that they loved yesterday, oftentimes they'll look at you to see your response about how they're eating and looking away, that kind of what you just said, they're kind of not trying, you know, trying not to pay attention, but also, you know, making sure we're watching in our periphery. There's my little, yeah, I apologize. Um, (laughs) you know, kind of looking in your periphery so that you're still watching them because, you know, choking is silent and it happens quickly. We always have to be aware of young people eating, Yeah, but not paying attention. You know, I have had more experiences with a child kind of going for that green food and then looking at me and me looking away and I'm still yeah. going for it versus if I looked at them, there's something about observing an yeah. independent, you know, someone who's becoming independent and having them be like, 
why are you watching me? I'm not going to eat this because you want me to for some reason. I don't know where where evolutionarily yeah. toddlers think we're trying to poison them, but you know, if we're watching them and we, you know, they think we want them to eat something, they generally will not. But other things that you can say if if your toddler is verbal, if your child is verbal, this is for any age, and they say, I don't like this, you can say, We're learning, right? You don't have to eat it. There are five words that I often give as part of my uh, parent caregiver feeding toolbox. And that is you don't have to eat. And this is a very hard thing to say for both parents and caregivers, because we fear that our children are not eating enough. We fear that if they don't eat enough, we forward fear to they won't be successful in school because they're not, you know, they don't have nutrients. They're not going to grow well. They're not going to, you know, forward, forward, forward. They're yeah. not going to get into college, right? Like we, we forward fear when our children don't eat one day, but having the power to say, you don't have to eat. It is such an incredible thing because it becomes your child's choice to eat that food. And if it's their choice, they're going to make better choices. If we allow them to be intuitive eaters and not pressure, we let them listen to their own bodies and their hunger They'll choose the things. This starts in infancy, but you know, older children who are already picky or very selective about food need to know that what they eat is their choice. And if children haven't been eating well or enough, if we think this is a consistent trend, yeah. pulling back on what might be considered pressure and giving them the autonomy and the empowerment at mealtimes to say, you know, I'm not going to eat that. Okay, you don't have yeah. to eat. That's amazing. And being okay I, with that. Yeah, I definitely uh, it would not be as zen as this when I've worked with children in the past. But there was a thing that I definitely, what you're saying here definitely rings super true to me. Not just because it's true, but I feel vindicated that I've been like, you know, you don't always have to, uh, like a DJ, you don't have to like play, you can play the hits for them, you know, like they can, you can give them a break. If like, there's been like too much pressure around it, like even for your own sanity, for their sanity, just like, let it go away. Don't, don't worry about it so much for a while. Uh, what, what are the consequences, I guess, of like poor eating for children? Is there anything like that, that, I mean, like, what is, what is it that everybody is afraid of? (laughs) Intrinsically. (laughs) This is a very interesting thing because I think this starts with feeding. It's, it's rarely ever, it is rarely ever um, the child's issue when there is a, you know, an eating issue that yes, there are outliers. Yes, there are, you know, sensory developmental issues. There are developmental delays, different things that might interfere with a child's ability to eat, want to eat or accepting of textures or flavors. Mm -hmm. But for the vast majority of eating issues, it is not an eating issue, but a feeding issue. Okay. So this starts in infancy. When we start feeding babies, nothing but sweet foods. You know, we try broccoli once or some other bitter savory flavor one time and a baby makes a face and we're like, oh no, they hate it. And then maybe we try one more time and, oh, no, they hate it. So we never give it again. They obviously don't like broccoli because they make a face. Well, everything is new, right? Like 
Yeah. Infants are predisposed to love sweet things because breast milk is, is sweet. So there is an evolutionary uh, benefit to enjoying sweet flavors. But infants can learn to love the whole gamut of flavors, but they need to be exposed to them. Yeah. It's not that one day they're going to enjoy a bitter vegetable, right? They're not going to just one day be like, mm, kale. Yeah. Right. But if they accept those flavors early, you know, they have to learn what that flavor is, where on their tongue they taste it. So offering, you know, I hear, I've heard every number in the book where it's an infant needs five exposures, 10 mm-hmm. exposures, 20 exposures, just yeah. keep offering all of the flavors. Don't mix sweet things in with everything you give them because we set our kids up to only have a predisposition to sweetness. And when we hit toddlerhood and that range of food narrows, well, that child who already only pretty, you know, pretty much only likes sweet things, you know, their narrow range is going to be foods that are very easy to eat. And that is on the front of their mouth, right? So offering things early, like we hear, we hear something um, for early feeders and it's food before one is just for fun. And that is such a myth. I think it, you know, to me, who is an early feeding coach, um, to me, this is one of the biggest lies that we tell new parents and caregivers because there's so much that we need to help our infants get from food in that first year. Um, And that, you know, the number one nutrient that we need for infants is iron. And we don't tell new parents or caregivers this. We don't tell them that iron is so important for the developing brain. And where do we get that best? From meats, from meats like Mm. red meat, dark meat, poultry, and liver. And we never tell parents like, or caregivers, feed an infant liver. They need it, right? Like they need it for this brain development. So early exposure to your, specifically to your question, what do they need? They need a wide variety of things to taste, they need different textures because purees, while I am not in any camp of puree versus baby led weaning, we can't just have smooth food. Um, mm-hmm. So a wide variety of real food early with different flavors really matters. Wow. Uh, is there a time when like it's too late like to work through this? I don't know. When you mentioned kale and I was like, wow, I, I really... I'm not a kale person. I was like, wow, am I a picky eater? And I've just gone through so much, uh, so many mental hoops. And I'm thinking like, is there a time when it's too, too, really too late to like, you know, go back to being like, eat a, you know, variety of foods and better foods for you? Well, we've all known there's, there's a short answer and a long answer. The, the, both of them are no. So I'm just going to say no, it's never too late. However, if we do this early, if we do these things really early, the long-term benefit of palate development in infancy is that, you know, even when children go through this selectivity during toddlerhood, if they accepted these foods and saw them regularly early, they will go back to enjoying those flavors, right? And not in every single case, right? I hate speaking in absolutes, but, yeah, absolutely. you know, the majority of children will go back to those flavors. But if, we, if they never see them, then they never will, right? Like, but here's the thing. We all know that person who, 
maybe was unhealthy for the vast majority of their life. And then in their 20s or in their 30s or even in their 40s or 50s, decide to make a change Yeah, because they heard from a doctor or they just finally had enough of not feeling great. So we can always change. We can always uh, make a change with what we eat. But the difference for children is that, you know, as adults, we're, we're grown. Yeah. We're replacing parts. Children and infants especially are building the bodies, the vehicles that will carry them through life. So it really matters in the first year specifically, but through toddlerhood and early childhood, you know, children are literally adding the pieces to their brains and their bodies that will carry them through life. And that really matters that we do that well early. Yeah. So with all of that said, uh, are some, and I guess maybe this talks like in the outliers part, but are some kids just picky eaters naturally, or is that something that you create? That's a really great question because it's both. There are children who are, um, we, you know, we've all heard of super tasters. So if we have a lot of taste buds in our mouth, then foods might taste like fireworks. You know, like flavors are very strong to some people, but we also grow them, right? Like the, the outliers aside where it is more rare for someone to be a naturally picky eater, but you know, there are some flavors that people just don't like, and this includes children. And if we don't pressure, they don't have to eat those things that they don't like which makes them dig into the foods that they do, you know, like dig their heels into the ones that they will accept. But we really do play a huge part in raising and growing picky eaters with the ways that we feed, either by not exposing them to the foods that they either need or we don't like. Like I've heard more people say, well, I don't like kale. I'm not going to give it to my kids. Well, how are they ever going to learn to how, like they don't have to adopt the same dislikes of food that we do, right? There is a saying that I use with parents all the time, and and that is that your children will will grow up to eat the way that you do. Yes. And if any part of that makes you uncomfortable, then it's time to think about how we eat, right? If, If we know that our children will grow up to eat the same ways that we do, love the same foods that we love, comfort ourselves with the same foods that we comfort with. If any part of that makes us uncomfortable, it's time to evaluate how we feel about what we're eating. When you're going through this, I would think that a lot of parents are changing their own habits and do parents become better eaters? Does that like ever happen? Or is it really, I guess that's two questions, but like, is it really hard for parents to, to change this? It is more challenging for parents to change and you know, and caregivers too. We we play a huge part in feeding infants and you know, we spend lots of times doing this uh, work with helping a child with their flavor palette and the foods that they love and will eventually eat. We're part of that too. But yes, it is more challenging for an adult to do that. But this is kind of the sneaky thing behind my coaching is that, you know, I ultimately want families to eat well. And I am not uh, preaching a monastic lifestyle. You know, I'm not saying you only have to eat green veggies or lean proteins all of the time. That's that's not uh, in my wheelhouse. I know that is not reasonable to expect from people, nor should it be. Yeah. But my my big goal is 
helping parents to understand and caregivers to understand the importance of these types of foods for little people and knowing that the way we eat is the way they're going to eat. So we can do all of this hard work of feeding well in the first year, in the first three years. But then if we, if we don't eat well, what's going to happen when your child is like, hey, what are you eating? Yeah. I want that. And that happens in infancy. That happens before one, where if you're trying to give your kid broccoli and you don't eat it, good luck getting your kid to continue to eat broccoli because they need to see you enjoying food also. So my goal is to help parents and families and caregivers in general learn to eat well so that children can grow up to be healthier. Thank you again so much for joining us. I totally appreciate it. I'm going to be a better eater now. I, I'm sure I of that. it. <laughs> <laughs> and be kind to yourself. Eat all of the things still. Eat the cookies. Like, eat the things. Just don't always just eat cookies. I'm going to I'm gonna really keep in mind the, the color spectrum there that we need. Thank awesome. you. <laughs> Great. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Angelina, Pizzi, and myself on the Nanny ABC's Next Step podcast. Visit and learn more about Angelina using the links in our show summary below. Go to adventurouseating.com and receive the new mom's definitive guide to complimentary feeding. Visit her on the Facebook at facebook.com slash adventurouseating and their Instagram adventurous underscore eating. Now, here are this episode's action steps. One, set a goal. By age one, I want my baby to XYZ. For you, your family, and your baby, make a goal. Decide on this being a long-term goal, a milestone, or a goal of the week. In the Sitter's Handbook, we discuss goals of the week, and they are not complicated. If you're working on potty training, this is showing your child how to flush the toilet or getting them to do it themselves. I mean, we are talking small baby steps, no pun intended. Two, be brutally honest about what you know and what you may not know. Seek advice where you need it. If you are here, you already have an extensive network. Maybe not a huge, but extensive in knowledge. You know you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Angelina. You can reach out to every guest that has ever joined us. You don't have to do any of this alone. I know you can search for a book. You can read that book and you can implement its knowledge, but you don't even have to do that alone. You could ask your friends. I ask my friends, hey, what book did you love on topic XYZ? And I start there. So way before I even start looking for the stuff myself, I already go for, for friends, for help. And there's nothing stopping you from that as well. So next week in part two, we will provide three more action steps. So join us then. Thank you again for listening and subscribe, share, and join us next week on the Nanny ABC's Next Step podcast. Visit nannyabcs.com to see how we can help you and schedule a chat with me there. Cheers. If you would like to work directly with Nanny ABCs or add Next Step to your agency, go to nannyabcs.com to find out more and connect.